0: Yeah, to answer your question about uh, what language I'm learning, it is a secret for the time being. Um, I'm doing uh, a three-month challenge, so it's like a, or a 90-day challenge. So by the end of 90 days, uh, you go through this process and you should be able to have a 15-minute conversation in a brand new language. And uh, but it's, uh, done by a very well-known uh, polyglot or speaker of many languages named Benny Lewis. And uh, you know, a lot of times people will. Um, they'll kind of like announce all over Facebook and to all their friends that they're doing this new thing and they'll get like, you know, virtual pats on the back and like, Oh, great job. And and so then they get like this, the sense of accomplishment without actually having accomplished anything. And um, so I'm trying to avoid that because I know that like a little too much praise really throws me off. Like I gotta, I gotta keep my nose to the grindstone until there's enough momentum built up where it's like, you know, I, I uh, you're laughing, but I, I think you know what I'm talking about, dude. I love you. Oh, my gosh, because <laughs> I was going to ask you. So what's the big secret? And then but that was perfect. That was that was awesome. <laughs> there will be a big reveal by about the end of July, because the the idea is that you have to you have to do some videos. So like a th- I haven't done my 30 day video yet, which actually I should have done a couple, a couple weeks ago, but a 30, 60 and a 90 day video Um. Basically to you know to showcase how far you've come So it's like for you as well as for other people who are thinking about doing the challenge and then day 90 The video is supposed to be you having a 15-minute conversation only in this uh, this new language. So um, Yeah, I I will post that when uh, when the time comes and then I will accept people's fawning and praise and adoration
1: So how many how many languages currently? Like I know it's I know it's at least two that you speak how many Uh, just two?
0: Uh, three. So I know uh, Hebrew and Italian. And obviously, I dabble in English. So I think that counts for something. Um, but then I will be adding this fourth one. You know Italian?
1: I did if, not know that.
0: I and do. if I did, I forgot. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I started learning Italian back in like uh, 2014 because um, I had an opportunity to go to Italy to assist at an SFG level one and then go through the level two. And I had heard. And it was not just a rumor. Turns out it's quite true that Italians are generally not very good in English. And uh, so I thought, well, you know what? Italian's a very pretty language, and all the languages I've studied up to this point have been like not so pretty. Like I think Hebrew is a very cool language, for example, but it's not renowned for like its beauty or musicality or anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I decided to start learning it, and then I I kind of. Would go like uh, back and forth with it a little bit, and um, when I moved back to the states, I hired an online uh, tutor to help me with my Italian so that I didn't end up losing it. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I would say I'm pretty, i uh, pretty good at it right now. That's awesome. That's yes, yeah, awesome. it's a very nice language. So if you guys ever do anything out in Italy and you need an interpreter, I'm sure there are going to be plenty there. But if you need an excuse to bring me out to Italy for some reason, cool. you just let me know.
1: I, I would like to bring you out with any uh, any kind of excuse. Um, the last time I was in Italy, Fabio uh, was the Zonin was the interpreter.
0: Yeah, you don't really he's need it, but I don't think I could do better than him like on even on on his worst day. I think even on his worst day, I would get chumped. he's He's quite a good interpreter.
1: Yeah, that was a uh, that was a that was an interesting experience for sure. And you're right, man, the uh, the Italian language, it just sounds so cool. Like yeah, it's,
0: just... it's very pretty. I mean, there's something about it. It's like, like, like they didn't really plan for it to sound that good because that's the thing with a language. Nobody ever really plans to make it sound very pretty. Um, it just happens or it doesn't. You know, like uh, I, I'm not going to point out any particular languages, but there are speakers of certain languages who know that their language isn't isn't particularly beautiful or has kind of like a harsh sound to it. Um, well, here's here's a group of people who won't get offended because I'm sure they're not listening. The Georgians. People from not from like Atlanta, Georgia, obviously, but like from the country, they have
1: their own language too. <laughs> oh, I know.
0: I, you and I were there that one time. Remember, we taught at uh, was it uh, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Is that Delane's uh, uh, Delane, Delane Ross's gym. Delane? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She, she spoke very good English. I mean, you know, it was the other Georgians there, <laughs> it was very hard to understand them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, my understanding is that the, the language of Georgia, the country. Sounds like you're like shredding paper, is what I've heard people say. I mean, to me that sounds cool, but it also doesn't necessarily lend itself to like beautiful music and poetry and stuff.
1: I did not know that. Um, uh,
0: Again, this is purely third-hand information, because I don't recall ever having even heard Georgian being spoken. That's just a reputation it has.
1: I have heard paper being shredded, though, so if, if it's close, then...
0: You might be conversational in Georgian, then. You know, right. without even knowing it, if you can do if you can do an impression of that, you're good. I I do impressions, but usually it's people, right? <laughs> of course, of course. So uh, we'll we'll find some Georgian people. Maybe someone will write in angrily about, you know, how I've typified his or her language, and then we'll we'll set the record.
1: Straight. As as it turns out, um, through the listeners of the podcast, I, I am unaware of any people from Georgia that that uh, in the United States or the actual country that mm-hmm. listen. That listen to the podcast. So. Well, there's
0: got to be a connection then, because if nobody in the state of Georgia or the country of Georgia is listening, it's like it's just like the the sound waves are bending around it, so nobody's actually uh, nobody's listening yet. We're yet. gonna fix that.
1: All right, oh, that's cool. Um, so, by the way, I would like to keep all of this as the intro to the podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm right. in. Good. Um, well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We have our good friend and. I don't know. Are you a you're a re? I would call you a recurring guest, but it's almost like, like, I don't know. Like this could be just the Alex and Tim show. Sometimes that that we sure. have. Absolutely. Um, regardless, our good friend Alex the Hebrew Hammer is back with us today to talk about the power of dead bugs and other stuff like languages in and Georgia. But that's right. <laughs> But Alex, you you just wrote an article for uh, Original Strength talking about the power of dead bugs and and how a lot of times people overlook them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you can you just go into that like uh, just a brief synopsis of your article and then we'll dive dive right in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I like to think of my myself as a champion of the underdog, and uh, so often in the in the world of movement and in exercise. Uh, certain moves will get elevated above others. And for good reason. you know, like I would say in the world of uh, of original strength, crawling naturally takes, you know the the high chair of uh, of like the thing everybody wants to do. Everybody's like most excited about it, and is for good reason, of course, because it's got so many great properties to it. I mean, it really ties the body together. like you know, you've seen it. I've seen it. People will begin to crawl on a regular basis, and it's like, like, and you and I know it's not like maybe a miracle in conventional in the conventional sense of the word, but it's almost miraculous how much better people will start to move and to feel and uh, and and just to to perform when they start doing a lot of crawling. And um, you know, but things in excess can become their opposites if you're not cautious. And so one thing that I know you and I and Danny, and all the other uh, high level instructors, are very big on is the importance of doing the other resets as well. In fact, uh, Sarah Young wrote a great article recently about breathing. I, I mean, that definitely gets overlooked a lot. I, I don't think I could have put it better than than what she said. Um, but you know even our foundation like we we talk a lot about crawling as being like the foundation for our movement. But even our foundation has a foundation. And it's all these other uh, resets that come before it that set the stage for crawling and so your crawling may be the foundation for things like you know improving your your athletic performance improving your general day-to-day movement your coordination and your strength but in order to get to crawling whether it's as a as an infant or as a full-grown adult getting reacquainted with your soft machine you have to build up that foundation so that when you try to stack more things on top of it it's not going to crumble and uh, dead bugs are a very important part of that because they represent uh, what we would typically call a regression of crawling, you know, and, and sometimes people get the wrong idea about regressions, meaning like all oh, well, that means it's not as valuable or it's more remedial, but realistically what it means is that it's honing in on a, like on a particular angle of a movement that may not be as emphasized in, in the primary movement. And so, By treating it as a primary movement and really spending a decent amount of time on, like, say, dead bugs, uh, not only does it work wonders for improving your crawling, but it's going to strengthen the foundation such that you can build just on top of it uh, for as much as you want, whether it's for strength, athletic performance, or just keeping up with your kids and grandkids. Let's, uh, since you mentioned it,
1: talk about regressions and progressions a bit, um, because we often like so we teach our workshops and in our books and stuff we 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 talk about regressions and progressions and like you said there's a there's a way of thinking that well if it's a regression it's easier or i don't want to do a regression i want to do the progression i want to i want to reach for the bigger thing yeah but and the truth of the matter is is a regression and which a, a regression for you might not be a regression for me um it could be a progression yeah so that, because we're all different but really, typically, a regression is often harder than than the thing you're trying to, to build up. Oh, like, yeah. For example, to me, dead bugs are way harder physically than crawling is. Oh, but easily, yeah. From a neurological standpoint, though, crawling is harder neurologically than dead bugs are. Yeah. So your regressions are often phys- more physically demanding, but not as neurologically demanding. So... I I just wanted to put that out there to give people a bigger picture, because I think we often overlook that, that just because we're saying regression doesn't mean it's going to be easier. Oh, yeah. It it may actually indeed be harder um, physically.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, I I think that um, the the way we typically use the terms progression and regression, I think it's fair to say that there are several like reasonable uses of them. And so we, even though original strength is not like an algorithm, meaning like you do this plus this, you're definitely going to get that. Right. It it really comes down to testing. Like you just have to test everything and and see how things work. And, um, and that's when you determine whether something is a progression or regression for you versus whether it is a progression or regression based on like what you talked about, like maybe the neurological difficulty or, um, or, or certain properties of the movement that uh, would put it either earlier or later into if you had to categorize it, let's say, um, like chronologically in terms of, of how you would develop. So like a good example of that would be like breathing. I think this is the best example is this is the most straightforward. So, you know, you you in order to breathe uh, in a way to reinvigorate your original strength, you need to get the diaphragm and the pelvic floor working together to stabilize the core, right? And so because the a more advanced uh, level of skill and that very basic foundational movement would be being able to do so with the diaphragm and the pelvic floor being pulled away from each other and having some resistance, um, something like arms over your head and legs straight out would technically we would view that as a regression because of that property of the movement, meaning it's just naturally pulling the the ribcage and the pelvis further away from each other and creating more resistance between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. Whereas if you were to hold if you're on your back holding onto your knees, so your knees are closer to your chest and you're just naturally bringing the diaphragm and the pelvic floor closer together so that they can work together better or theoretically work together better. We would consider that a regression. But if let's say you just do a lot of core work and your abs are always tight and being in that position, tightens up your abs so that you're always, uh, you're, you're almost like breathing behind the shield, as we would say in, in strong first, meaning breathing behind tensed abs. So you're, your are breathing is shallow, you're not able to uh, get everything engaged from the pelvic floor, uh, and then sequentially up into the chest then that actually might be something you'd have to work toward. So for you, that would be a a progression, even though the characteristics of that that position itself are technically speaking, theoretically easier. Like uh, but one of the things I noticed for me, for example, I I do a lot of midsection work. And so um, even now, like I find that if I have my hands over my head and my legs straight out in front of me, I actually breathe better. And it's like my money, like a breathing progression. Right. Uh, likewise, if I'm, if I'm uh, crocodile, breathing is kind of like 50, 50, sometimes it, it seems to work really well. Sometimes like I might have to kind of work my way into it, but the exact same thing goes for a lot of other movements too. Like, um, I, I've seen, I've worked with people actually for whom dead bugs are not a good match because again, I think they spend a lot of time maybe, um, either with having done a lot of core work. Or they're just hunched over more often, um, you know, maybe they're more anterior chain dominant to begin with. Anterior chain just meaning the uh, the muscles that you would see if you look in a full length mirror. And But if they did leopard crawls, then like, I mean, they improved in leaps and bounds. So a progression for them actually would be working toward the dead bugs as opposed to, and a regression was was leopard crawl. Um, and so, you know, on again, on the scale of where where the movement would appear to fall, like if you were to just put it chronologically in terms of like, here's how you add a new layer of skill, right? Um, if that's the only way that you look at it and you're thinking, oh, well, if I do a regression that's kind of admitting that I'm not good enough and, you know, and, and whatever, uh, it really messes with people's minds. And that's why having having the right idea about what it means to, for a progression or a regression, it's it's totally a personal thing. It really depends on the individual.
1: So what you said just there is the the reason that I – I don't know if you've noticed this, but I never – I hardly ever use the word or phrase baby crawling anymore because mm-hmm. as soon as I do, people shut down because that yeah. is not – I don't want to crawl like a baby. That's not sexy. So yeah. I, I always refer to it now as hand and knee crawl to take the mental
0: blocker barrier out of it. That's smart, actually. I have noticed that, and and I I knew that that had to be the reason why, because I know like, if you call it like, people, you say baby crawl, what they hear is little sissy weakling crawl, and you're like, that's not the case at all. It's like, doesn't work like that, you know. Yeah, in like point one hundredths of a second,
1: they've made this mental and person uh, impression and decision that no, that's not what I want to do. You
0: know what? You got to call. You got to call it the man crawl, and then the people are going to be like, I want to do the man crawl. I don't want to do some leopard crawl. I'm, I'm a man. I'm not a cat. That would be, uh that would be like kind of like reverse psychology.
1: You know what? That, that's probably crazy enough to work. um I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure there's something to that. We'll test it out. We'll see if that works. All right, so. So, in in your article, and you kind of just touched on this a little bit, talking about the regressions, but you said uh, your number one point in the article was that there are a lot of people that crawl a lot, but they're not good crawlers, Mm -hmm. and and is that because they're missing that that, that foundational pieces uh, that you're talking about?
0: I definitely think so, because if you think about, you know, and there may be, you know, differences from person to person. But if you think about it, like, again, crawling is supposed to be the culmination of your know, deep breathing, your head control, rolling and rocking, and then you start to get toward this foundational kind of like gait movement. Uh, That of course being being crawling, and uh, a lot of people just kind of want to skip to the end. And and if you think about it, really the whole purpose of original strength is to build up your reflexive stability, so you can move uh, smoothly and athletically and with confidence and competence. And um, and and doing that with crawling, that's a it's a much more uh, it's like a higher higher order, um, higher order movement we might say Uh, at least in in the in terms of like the pecking order for the, the, uh, the other resets. And so if you don't have very good reflexive stability and you're trying to crawl, you're going to, you're going to more than likely rely on feed forward tension, uh, which is good. I mean, feed forward tension is, but it's contextually good. Like it's good for kettlebell and body weight, uh, like traditional kettlebell and body weight exercises. It's good. Great for barbell stuff, obviously. Um, but when you're trying to improve the way that your body just naturally responds and uh, reacts to movement as it's happening and before it happens, um, just constantly being tense is is going to really diminish the amount of, uh, of of gains we might say that you'll get from the crawling. And so it isn't uncommon to see people who crawl a lot, but they look really tense, like you know, like there's something like sneaking up on them, and they're just trying to get out of the way you know, as quickly as they can. Like if you're going to use an animal kingdom type of uh, visualization.
1: So, so you're saying feed for attention is not desired nor optimal when you're just trying to naturally
0: move. Exactly. I mean, if you think about it, like well, actually, you know, here's another great example. Um, and I, I don't want to call anybody out in particular, but I've seen this happen in a number of locations that I've been to where people will be, will be teaching the crawl and I'm looking on, and watching and these, you know, these are people who were like, they're familiar with original strength. I, I don't think they've gone in the, in the case I'm thinking of right now, I don't know whether or not they had gone through the, um, the workshop or the certification, but, uh, but you know, they were familiar with, with the basics of the system and the way they were teaching the crawl was not with feed forward tension for sure, but, but in kind of like a robotic way, like they will, they'll step pause, step pause, step pause and it's not wrong you know you're not breaking any of the three major pillars of, uh, of original strength by doing that but think about if you walk that way i mean if crawling is supposed to be the basis for your gait and you're like walking like robocop you know um, it's uh, it'll look cool if you it's a halloween costume that you're wearing you know this robocop thing but it doesn't really ha- pardon me it doesn't really have much application to the real world so so it's not wrong
1: it's just not natural
0: yeah, it's it's exactly. It's not wrong. It's not going to hurt them. Um, it's not going to it's not going to hamper their ability to to uh, improve. But it is going to slow it down. I mean, it's like yeah, it's like draw, it's like driving in second gear. Yeah, you know, I mean you're on the open road.
1: And I just want to ask you this, just to get your your take on it. Um, for some people, do you think that they crawl with feed forward tension because they can't separate the difference between exercise and movement? is that possible
0: Oh yeah yeah I mean I think I, I think I might have first heard this from you actually many moons ago that a lot of people um they they really I mean I think it was you who said something to the effect of like um exercise is really like a movement supplement right like if we take supplements like protein shakes and vitamins and you know there's nothing wrong with them but but if we're if we're taking them because we're trying to make up for like a poor diet well, and then the supplements aren't really supplementing anything. You know, all they are, it's like, a, it's like a Band-Aid on like a broken leg. And the same thing goes with movement is that you, you – I remember there's a very famous uh, Israeli movement uh, expert named Ido Portal. And he pointed out, you know, even Mike Tyson, who's like a specialist in boxing, you know, like the greatest to ever live, even he has to squat down to pick up his kid. Meaning even he has to be able to engage in very basic foundational movements. To, to do day-to-day things like, you know, picking up your child and, and playing with him or her. And um, the less familiar you are with just the basic natural movements outside of the context of maybe the four walls of your gym or your, your courage corner, then uh, the harder it's going to be for you to apply this stuff in the real world because you're only used to movement uh, and, and deliberate movement in the context of, you know, very regimented, program. Uh, so I've definitely seen people when I first tried to teach them to crawl, they'll just get as tight as they can and then start to crawl. And it's it really takes some coaching to get them to kind of relax and and uh, and visualize moving without any excess effort.
1: How do you, uh, you you've written that dead bugs actually help people learn how to move fluidly and get rid of that excess robotic uh, movement or tension. How do you how do you think that happens?
0: I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I have a theory, and uh, I have a couple of theories. I have theories about everything, Tim. This is a this is just what I do. But um, you know, if you think about crawling, well, let's think about it like this. Actually, so a lot of times, people who come to original strength, they they really uh, range from you know people like Dan John who has been like just an amazing. And it would be it would not be a, a uh, podcast episode with you and me, if I wasn't mentioning Dan John <laughs> in some capacity, you know this we're batting a thousand we're doing exactly. Good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're we're hitting every we're, we're, we're checkmarking every box we need. Um, but you know, he, he had been like a high level athlete and, and coach for decades, you know, and he still gets tons of stuff out of original strength. So he's not somebody who is like a, like a raw beginner, you know what I mean? Um, like he was training even when you were, were probably just barely born. You know, he, he's just been doing it for so long. Uh, but then you also get people who have maybe have been sedentary for the majority of their lives or for the last maybe, you know, 10 plus years. And they're finding that, uh, you know, they can't just go to like a group fitness class and then walk out feeling better. They they end up feeling like they're like they're beaten up. And so they because they just don't have the necessary the requisite strength. They don't have the requisite coordination. And um so I kind of think that one of the one of the reasons why uh, dead bugs uh, can be so helpful for people is because it's it's kind of uh, like amplifying one of the benefits of crawling, which is without question, a stronger midsection. You know, like people crawl a lot and they're always amazed at like how much stronger their abs feel in addition to improved posture and improved strength. But if you think about it, if you're jumping and, and let's say you want to skip the, you know, the the hands and knees crawl because you once heard you know, me call it the baby crawl or something like that. And now it's not cool anymore. Um, and you want to go for like the leopard crawl, but you don't have the requisite strength in your legs uh, or in your or in your arms. Well, now all of a sudden you're loading them up, and you're also loading up you know your your chest, your lats, your core, your your thighs, like everything. And so suddenly, you, you know you don't really have much experience with doing that sort of a thing. And so your body m- might just end up overreacting. And doesn't really know how to keep the limbs relaxed because it's either never done this kind of a thing before, never done any strength training before, or you know it's just this is what you're used to. It's go, kind of going back to that, uh, people who who don't know how to who divorce movement from exercise uh, are common. Or it's common for them to have this this issue. Whereas, um, and because you're loading up your hands and your feet and all the mechanoreceptors or these little these little um, uh, receptors, I guess we could call. It. I wish I could think of a different name for them, like s- oh. signals or sensors or something like that.
1: Neuromuscular sensors, maybe.
0: Exactly. Um, they it, they they basically send all these signals to all the muscles in your limbs, as well as uh, like your your chest, your lats, you know, your core, all these other things, to just give you um, the the uh, the extra boost you're going to need when you're crawling. So you're you're loading up the mechanoreceptors. They're telling your arms and legs okay you need to fire up in this sequence and this way and whatever but if your only familiarity with doing that is with high, like high tension feed forward type of stuff it's hard to break yourself of that habit so all that to say with the dead bug it's great because your your limbs are unloaded and so you can really just focus on for example getting your 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 core working the way that it's supposed to while learning how to keep your limbs relaxed so that you can later apply that to your crawling, so that you're not doing this like robotic sort of like uh, uh, crawl, as it were, but you're really flowing across the ground. Like you're 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 kind of teaching your body uh, how to keep the limbs relaxed in something where all of them have to be working in unison and in concert at the same time.
1: I uh, I like your theory. I can resonate with that. That that makes that makes good sense to me. Good.
0: So, I'm I'm I'll, on the right I'll, track.
1: Then. Yeah, I like your theory. Um, next question is you mentioned something in the article, how that traditional core exercises don't make your core stronger or traditional exercises don't make your core stronger.
0: I would say they don't make your core strong, Strong. exactly stronger. Yes. But, um, I have known uh, lots of people who, you know, they could do like traditional core exercises and I, and I'm not talking either about like, you know, sit ups or crunches, even though those would be be traditional, but like more high level stuff like L sits, um, hanging leg raises and things like that. Um, Oh, you, you jumped to
1: level three then.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> level one and level three level level two is a myth. There's nothing there, you know? Um, and uh, all it is, is just high rep variations of like the dead bugs and, and what have you. That's how you get to level two. Um, or, or, you know, we could talk about some of the weighted modifications for dead bugs. Actually, that would be a great level two between, you know, just the the standard issue stuff and then the crazy stuff before you get to the the traditional ab exercises like l-sits and and leg raises and what have you um but you know in order for your core to be strong it has to be stable and so um it, similar to let's say well let's take let's take your pecs for example you know they may be strong like in a bench press or in dips or and things like that but if they're constantly tight they're, they're going to prevent you from really expressing your body the way that it's, it's supposed to. Um, and, uh, with the core, you know, we have not just the, what we might call the beach muscles, like, you know, your, your six pack, your obliques and stuff like that. Cool stuff you can show off at the beach, but you've also got, you know, the transverse abdominis, the spinal segmental stabilizers, of course, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And, um, uh, you know theoretically some of these you should be able to train within the, the the confines of a traditional movement and maybe you can but but if you can't do it at a at a lower level it's to me it seems unlikely that you're going to do it at a higher level right it's like like there's kind of there's a joke in the world of powerlifting like I can't even squat below parallel unless I have 315 on my back you know like yeah okay you that's, can squat that's only funny cuz it's true Exactly. Yeah. And and we know people like that, you know, or, or who were like that and, and maybe have reformed themselves. But, but that's the thing is if you can say, well, yeah, I mean, I can definitely squat below parallel, but there's a tremendous caveat to it. It's like, do you really own it? Or are you being forced into it by, you know, by weight that, that exceeds your body weight? That's what it takes to get you down that low. That's, that's an issue. And, um, Now, when it comes to so that would be an example of, you know, not really necessarily owning the movement, even if you can do it. Right. Um, And with the core, the so much of what we do with the core is stuff that's done, you know, to stabilize you as you're walking and as you're running or engaging in day to day activities. But if you're not used to doing that, the the musculature necessary to do all those things is it's going to be on a a perpetual smoke break, as it were. So it's not like you're going to just all of a sudden, you know pick a super hard exercise and it's going to be like, all right, time to get back to work. Odds are something else is going to pick up the slack and that's going to keep being lazy. So working on stuff like, I mean, segmental rolling is is great for that. Um, The uh, dead bugs that we're discussing are obviously uh, a great example of that. And so by by doing that and getting the core stabilizer muscles fired up, you know, you, you will end up having enough stability that you can likely start to squat below parallel without 315 on your back or you'll be able to engage in other basic movements that your your body is air to right off the bat um, But without that I think that even cool stuff that I really like like hanging leg raises and dragon flags and l-sits and other crazy crazy stuff like that um, it, it becomes easier to do it and you're not working around like a, a major deficit um, and, and it does have real Applications to the to the real world. I have a um, an online student in Australia, Frances Moylan, and um, a number of years ago she did a uh, a program that I wrote that that had as part of it dead bugs between every set of front squats. And you know she's a pretty petite gal. I don't think she'd mind my mentioning her her weight. I mean she must be like 123 pounds, or maybe I think around 54 kilos for people who know kilos. And at the end of the program, she was able to do five sets of five front squats with two 24 kilo kettlebells or two 53 pound kettlebells, which amounted to about 85 percent of her body weight. Um, now, 85 percent of your body weight with a front squat is respectable as it is with a barbell. But with kettlebells, where like the stability levels are, are much, much lower and you have to really work on on keeping those bells close. Uh, I mean, that's phenomenal. And and the big thing was just adding the dead bugs in between. Her regular sets of front squats.
1: If if you're listening to this and you cannot relate, let me just tell you that if anybody does double kettlebell front squats with two 24 kilogram bells, no matter who you are, you you feel it. I mean, it, that yeah. takes that takes strength. But for a 123 pound or 124 pound person to do that, that's that's just super strong.
0: And for for five sets of five reps too yeah I mean, that be is one thing no to do it for like one
1: or two yeah that's that's very impressive um, which kind of segues into uh, to me to me it was your strongest point about dead bugs is that it helps you learn how to breathe behind the shield
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what is because that kind of that kind of to me also equates with the stability you were talking about totally. Can you explain what breathing behind the shield is?
0: yeah, so um, you know, I mentioned it. I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier as being this idea of breathing behind uh, braced abs. And so, if you're lifting weights or you're doing uh, bodyweight exercises or, or anything of that nature, you need the core to be stable because that's what's going to help you to. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in the terminology with all this stuff, so I'm going to try to simplify it as much as possible. But if you want to transfer forces from your your legs to your upper body, you need to have a stable core to do it. And, and that stable core means not just, you know, the six pack braced for a punch or what have you, but also that the, the, uh, musculature that's kind of working behind the scenes, the stuff you can't show off at the beach, like, uh, you know, your diaphragm and pelvic floor and, uh, and the uh, multifidus and, you know, all these other cool things, um, the, then what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to breathe behind these stabilized abs. And uh, a lot of a lot of times, not number one, this is not going to be the same thing as breathing when you're really relaxed, where you can take really long, deep breaths. It's going to be something that's going to take uh, uh, a little bit more focus, but should still be able to be done within the uh, within the confines of what we do in original strength. And so, what the dead bug does is it makes it so that you can feel what that should feel like automatically. Meaning, um, you get a little bit, I would say, a little bit of a preview of that with um, crocodile breathing, not to the same degree, but there's a level of resistance on the stomach. So crocodile breathing is you're laying on the floor and uh, the floor is providing some resistance to your stomach so that your breathing is a little bit more, um, uh, it has to work against this this, uh, external resistance. It's not... You know, like if you're laying on your back and your stomach is is unencumbered, so you you kind of get a taste for it like that. But it still allows you to breathe very deep. So the, the next level beyond that would be um, would be still breathing with that resistance, but having the resistance come simply from uh, the body, the, your body position. So rather than coming from the floor and you know the the tactile uh, uh, feedback that you're getting from it, they're actually coming from the position that you've that you've put your body in. And so if you're in a dead bug position. Um, you know, one of the things you want to, you want to do is try to get your tailbone a little bit off the floor because that is, and then bringing your knees a little closer to your chest. I usually tell people at or beyond the belt line and automatically that will fire up your abs reflexively. Like it just that's, does what it's supposed to do. That's the magic and word. It, it is exactly. I mean, that's, uh, that's exactly what it is. and And even people who don't quite know how that should feel will feel that because it's, because they don't have to think. To get to that feeling, the body tells them that this is what's supposed to happen now that you're in this position, right? And it's a very good, stable and safe position for your abs. And so, being able to learn what that feels like and then transfer that to your iron practice, like you know, with uh, kettlebells or barbells or you know, bodyweight training, uh, makes all the difference in the world. And it also makes sure that that you know you're not holding your breath and then getting dizzy and you know. Potentially collapsing. I mean, uh, you see this happen periodically. People will just forget to breathe while they're training, and there is a there is a time and a place, you know, to hold your breath if you're a bit more advanced and you and you know what you're doing. But most trainees shouldn't really be holding their breath. They should be they should be learning how to breathe behind the shield until they get to the point where the breath control is such that they can they can justify uh, not breathing in a in a very very heavy effort.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that's the golden key to dead bugs is that they do teach reflexive, uh, tension. Yeah. Uh, which, and, and because it's reflexive and like you just said, you you should be breathing behind that. So now you're, you're, you're learning two things. You're one, your body's learning how to reflexively activate the anterior chain, but two, you're also learning how to breathe with that pressure. Exactly. So that and you can get those reps in, and you could take that into the skill of weight training and become even stronger, by far a great deal stronger,
0: really. Absolutely. And and there's another nice side effect to that is that, you know, when you don't have good core stability, you're also going to, it's going to hamper your mobility in other ways too. So it is so common for me to see people who they, they work on their core stability and suddenly they're squatting deeper their squats feel easier and i mean bodyweight squats too like that's i think the real test because if you can squat down low with a whole bunch of weight well you know the weight is is kind of providing a little bit of that that uh, ability but if you can do it with no weight it's a great sign of your general uh, stability and the mobility that that comes along with it uh, but likewise with a toe touch for example i've seen a lot of people you know they can sit on the ground and touch their toes but if they stand up they can't Well, that's a surefire sign that it's an issue of stability and not mobility because if you can do it in one context where you're very stable like sitting on the floor but not another context where you're standing and you have a lower surface area that's supporting you well then you know your stability is is definitely the issue and so um and this is a way to do it that is it's not i would actually say it's less sophisticated than just like the like the bracing cues that we often get um, well, yeah, and they're good cues. I'm not saying you know they're they're not useful, but um, but I would say the the dead bug approach is even less sophisticated because it it goes back to what your your body's natural reaction is to this stuff, and it takes advantage of that. So you don't have to think your way through anything. You can learn how it feels and then replicate it, which is in my opinion is ideal. Like to, at some level, you do need like verbal cues and things like that, but if you can get somebody's body into the position. That it needs to be in order to to get them to feel the thing that is going to fill in a gap in their abilities and help them to do what they want. Um, I mean, there's nothing better than that, because feeling something is is much uh, much more potent than just kind of understanding how something should theoretically work. You know, right? It's like you now at this point you have experience with it. And um, dead bugs are are phenomenal for that, even if it's just a starting position. I think, and I think another thing to
1: go along with what you said is, and I'm going to oversimplify this, uh, but if I could take the word stability and give it a really simple, simple synonym, I would say it, it could be safety. Yeah. So, so if your body is able to stabilize and, and your nervous system knows that it has that stability, it feels safe and it's going to allow you to express yourself in full range of motion full strength and full, full power exactly Whereas if you lack that stability it's going to put brakes on you it's going to put governors on you to try to keep you from from getting hurt
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's a perfect way to describe it because i mean when we think of stability whether it's physical or, or like um you know conceptual right like people think like financial stability or they really mean is like financial safety, safety right it's not exactly it's not that their their checkbook is balanced quote unquote <laughs> it's that i mean maybe that's a part of it but um, but it has everything to do with, with their safety and it's the exact same thing. And you know, a lot of times, uh, I, like, I like stretching. I think it has a good, uh, a lot of good applications. But if you think about why certain muscles get tight m- more than others, like we know that as we age, we have certain muscles that get tighter and other muscles that get longer and, and looser. So we got the tonic and the phasic muscles. This is something that, uh, Czech physiologist Vladimir Yanda uh, talked a lot about uh, you know long time ago, and so you see certain muscles like the the pecs, the biceps, uh, the hip flexors. They're just they're going to get tighter uh, you know, as we get older, and uh, well, I mean surprise surprise, the the muscles on the opposite side tend to get longer and and looser. So for example, the glutes get you know, gluteal amnesia, as we like to call it. Upper back tends to round, you know, when the when the pecs get really tight. And, um, you know, a lot of this is it's it's a natural phenomenon, but it can be reversed just by moving the way that you're made to move. Like it gets worse when you're sitting all the time. And that's just, you know, that's just by nature. So then if you think about the mechanism behind why certain muscles will get tight um, due to a lack of movement and a lack of a need to stabilize, like when you're seated, you're stabilized as much as you need to. So your body's not going to throw extra resources to stabilize when, when something else is doing its job for it. Uh, but it gets used to doing that. And so your body feels like this is safe. Maybe it doesn't feel great. You know, maybe I kind of feel crappy, but, but this is safe and I know for sure that it's safe. And until you give it options for, for performing differently, it's going to keep doing that. So like endless stretching without first adding, uh, adding back the stability component, is just like I mean, it's like changing the oil on the Titanic. You know, it's just not the problem you need to be dealing with. What's
1: a uh, off the cuff, a very simple way somebody could implement dead bugs into their lifestyle if they to have performance gains or strength gains in the gym, or to just feel better. I mean, because really, it's going to do all of those things. I would yeah. think. Yeah,
0: I think um, you know, a good approach would be in the morning. I always feel like uh, you know doing something first thing in the morning is really what's gonna set you up for a great rest of the day. And um, so i'm a, I'm a big I'm a big believer in that. If you just set a a timer for like one minute and you do as many quality dead bugs in that minute as you can, it doesn't mean race. You know, in fact, if anything, you should do them slowly and methodically. um, but you just try to do as many as you can within the that one minute period and then go about your morning. Um, if you do that every day, I mean, let's say you get in, Like 20 in the course of that in the course of that minute, and then let's say you do that every day. It's seven days a week, right? So by the end of the week, you've done 140 total dead bugs. Um, And then as the weeks and months go on, you're just you're accumulating more and more. Seven thousand three hundred. That's yeah. I see you got your your calculator ready, or you're very good at at uh, oh even better. Wow, I'm impressed. Seven thousand three hundred dead bugs in a year if you did that. Hear that, folks? That is uh, that is a lot of dead bugs. I mean. I mean, you can, doing 7,300 something dead bugs in a year, like that's going to have an impact. It's just going to, I mean, imagine, uh, if you, like, if you would apply that to something, uh, to anything else, 7,300 of anything in a year, that's a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, if you were to put like $1 in a jar, well, I mean, I guess you'd have to put in a lot more in order to get to the 7,300. It'd have to be like at least 20 per day. $20. Uh, yeah, exactly. You'd You'd get that same thing. And so is not a whole lot, you know, for one day, but over the course of a year, it's a, it's a big boatload of money and it's exactly the same with movement. Like little, uh, little bit done daily will have a a tremendous effect. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think one minute of that, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed not to see some pretty amazing results in short order and pretty eye popping results, uh, in about a year's time. That seems just so simple, Alex. So simple. it, it's almost like it's so simple it could work. Almost. There's only, there's only one way to find out. That's right. Folks, get after it. 20 minutes. You you owe us 20 dead bugs a day. That's it. Cool. But like Alex
1: said, you could also test this against your body to see how it responds. You could do your one minute of dead bugs and then try to do something that was maybe difficult for you right before you did that and just see how you feel. Absolutely. Or, or you could test your performance in the gym like, you know, after – one minute of dead bugs after a couple of weeks, few weeks, and just see if your, your lifts are improving.
0: Absolutely. And you know, um, I, not only do I think uh, you find that your lifts are improving, I think you're going to find a lot of other stuff is going to improve as well. Like your general movability, as I like to call it, uh, your low backs probably going to feel pretty great. Um, your coordination's going to go way up because we know that cross lateral movements really improve the communication between the two hemispheres of the brain. Uh, which has a tremendous impact on how you move in general. And, um, and one thing I wanted to mention earlier too, that, cause you mentioned that you find dead bugs to be more difficult than crawling. Um, I have, I have crawled 10 minutes in a row on multiple occasions, or I've crawled dragging over a hundred pounds, you know, for, for 10 minutes, again intervals, you know, not necessarily all at once, but I can, I have never been able to get past 120 dead bugs in a row which is about three and a half minutes worth of dead bugs. So you think about that, like three and a half minutes worth of dead bugs really just takes it out of me. Right. But I could crawl for 10 minutes if I really want to. Um, and I've done it multiple, multiple times. So if you think that dead bugs are, are too remedial, um, and you got both, me, both Tim and me talking about our struggles with the bug, then uh, just give it a try. I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at, at how much of an impact it has.
1: Yeah, they're no joke, but they do pack a big punch for sure. Oh, oh yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much, man. This is really a lot of fun. Um, I've learned a lot about language. Great. Uh, <laughs> the the great country
0: of Georgia. <laughs> Absolutely, which we know paltry little about other than that <laughs> it evidently has a funny language.
1: But I've learned more than I knew before we started. True, um, true. And... Got to have a great conversation with you about dead bugs, which, you know, and to be honest too, like I'm, I'm, this may happen to you as well. I know the value of all the smaller stuff, but it's easy to let a lot of that smaller stuff slip away um, when you start looking at other things and moving along.
0: Absolutely. And it's, it's very easy to forget too, that even if we see the value in it, because I do dead bugs almost daily, you know, like I do them like in between sets of squats, for example, and it just, you know, works wonders. And then I just kind of assume. Well, other people know that dead bugs are great because I've told them that they're great. But but people need to experience it to really understand why they're so awesome. And uh, it's like I was having a conversation last week with somebody who, and I just mentioned, you know, like yeah, you know, the, the resting squat is like the natural human resting uh, position, and and uh, hanging is really good for your shoulders because our shoulders are are that's one of the things they're made to do. And it like, and he's a guy who works out. You know, he he trains at the same gym that I do. And, and it just like blew his mind. He's like, that makes so much sense. I'd never thought about that. And so it's like you forget, you know, that the little things that you take as like axiomatic are like mind blowing to some people. And uh, just because and it was the same for us at one point, you know, like there was yeah. some point where I was like, you mean, I can crawl every day and then like just blow my squat and pressing strength out of the water like that seems crazy. And then I did it. I'm like, well, duh, that makes perfect sense because, you know, I experienced it and so on and so forth. And uh, dead bugs are no different. So, guys, if you want to
1: test the pudding and see the proof in the pudding, the the lesson for the day is get on the floor for at least a minute and do dead bugs every day and, and just notice what you discover.
0: Reap the rewards.
1: Alex, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thanks for having me back. It's been a pleasure.
1: All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the OS Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Original Strength Podcast.